Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Well, hello. My name is Michelle Jernigan, and like Aaron already had said, I am married to the lead pastor of this church, Jeremy Jernigan, so I just want to say welcome wherever you are, whether at Happy Valley, Sandy, Vancouver, or you're listening or watching online, welcome. And if you are a first-time guest, Jeremy will be back next week, and you get me today. So here we go. I know. It's going to be really, really good. Um, We are a church uh, about giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. And you probably hear us say this every single week, and the reason why is we want this to be something that is on the forefront of your mind every single day. So we try to be intentional with what we do here at the church, but we also want to be intentional in our lives once we leave this building. Um, A few weeks ago, um, well, a couple things. You know, the last two weeks have been, I feel like, have been super special here at Abundant Life. And if you haven't listened or watched the messages from the last two weeks, I do ask you to go back and listen to them. You know, for me, you know, I'm married to Jeremy, so he speaks and I know him not just in this setting, but at home. And what is beautiful about that dynamic is I get the experience of seeing him outside of these walls. And he's the exact same person, but he's also my pastor as well. So the things that he challenges you with, he challenges me with, and I get a benefit the same way that you all do. And so the last two weeks, I don't know, there's just something about him that I thought were, that was just so beautiful. And so if you haven't had a chance, go back and listen. But last week he talked about volunteering, and he kind of gave us a challenge at the end of last week's message. And I had an experience this week that kind of triggered all of this. I traveled for work, and um, I'm going to find out really, really quickly who my people are in the room. And um, I boarded the plane, and I sat, next, I sat down next to a gentleman, and um, I talked the entire time, the t- entire flight. Um, I got booed on Thursday night for saying that by someone. I was like, you're clearly not my people. You do not want me to sit down next to you, but I don't know if you're like me. I just, like, as soon as I sit down, I just have a conversation with a person, and I just have a, I hate interrupting it to do whatever it is that I have to do, and I was telling Jeremy about this story, and he's like, okay, so walk me through this, because I don't understand how you talk the entire time. I was like, well, I sat down, and I said, hello. He's like, that's already too far. You've already gone... Too far. Like, you, you just can't. You got to sit down. You got to put your earbuds in, and you just got to go. Like, you can't. And some of y'all are like, this one-minute greeting time is too long. But I'm the person who loves the greeting time, and I love having conversations. But the interesting thing about this conversation was that this gentleman, he is a part of a community in Portland area, a church community. And he was talking to me about just, you know, um, ways that how to get involved. And I talked about our message from last week. And he owns and runs a marketing and um, advertising firm, and he throws events and fundraisers. And I was like, so do you think that your church could benefit from your event planning, your marketing, your graphic design? He's like, I have never thought about this. And I'm like, I think they probably would love if you got connected in this way. So I encourage you guys, if you guys aren't already 
think about how you guys are gifted and talented, and it doesn't have to be I'm gifted at um, working in the cafe. It can be totally outside of the box. Um, but today, we're gonna change gears a little bit because I want you guys to help me finish these, so crowd participation wherever you're at, and finish these statements. Seeing is, I'll believe it when I, okay, so you got it. We are going to be talking about uh, Sometimes we need to see it to believe it, and, or I'll believe it when I see it. And I'm going to show you guys something that I, uh, I'm a little bit nervous about because uh, it was equally horrifying and like amazing at the same time. I ran across a story this week of a makeup artist in Russia, and he wanted to enter a YouTube contest. And uh, so he created something, and I'm gonna show you a picture of what he created. <laughs> Some adults are scared of clowns, y'all. Uh, it's a real thing. Okay, so he created Pennywise. And if you don't know who Pennywise is, Pennywise is from the movie It. It goes back decades. They've kind of relaunched it. Um, but he is a little bit of a scary clown. I do not endorse the movie, nor have I seen the movie. I should say that. And if you're watching on, or excuse me, if you're listening on to our podcast, I'm showing a picture right now of Pennywise, and it's crazy and scary. Um, but let's go to the next picture. He created out of snow. Like he entered a snowman contest and decided to go to the next one. Like so talented. Look at this guy. Also a little bit creepy and scary, I know. But he created this, um, this snowman, and uh, he got a ton of publicity because they all are like, this is scary. This, literally, he created this on a swing set outside of his apartment. Um, <laughs> and he just recorded it, people, and, and actually, most kids loved it. And I have to tell you a story. Um, our four-year-old loves Pennywise loves him some Pennywise. And you are probably thinking, like, how in the world does your four-year-old know who Pennywise is? Well, another pastor on staff's children showed our children. And now they have a love for him. And so anyway, my four-year-old just thinks Pennywise is the cutest thing. He wants to play Pennywise in our house, and it's just, just creepy. I don't know how else to say it. Um, but if you guys got a journal when you come in today, I'm going to tell you the title. We are in week four of our journals. And the title, if you're into taking notes, is I'll see it when I believe it. And we're going to be in John 4. If you brought a Bible or an app on a phone, go ahead and get there. You know, last week, and the last two weeks actually, Pastor Jeremy has been talking about the Samaritan woman, and um, there's a few things from that passage that I want us to read to connect to where we're going to go today. So we're going to read from John 4, 39 through 42. It says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. What's fascinating is the Samaritans didn't see any 
miracles necessarily. They just believed based off of the story that they had heard. And that's a little bit different than where we're going to go today. So I wanted to start there to take us on this journey of where we're going to go and how they are not just hearing about Jesus and what he can do. So let's go to John 4, 43 through 45. At the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. Now what's so fascinating is all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all the accounts, and they all mention this one detail. They mention that Jesus is not welcome in his own hometown. See, the Galileans, they had seen Jesus. They had seen the miracles, and they love what Jesus does, not who he is. They love what Jesus does, just not who he is. And a few things happening here that I want to point out, because I think it is worth noting that when you're in his hometown, they were just over-familiar with him. I mean, think, I mean, if you grew up and you stayed within a couple-mile radius of where you're, you were raised, like people would know you from your elementary school to your middle school to your high school, college, and you probably don't want them remembering all of those memories about you, especially middle school and high school. And you probably made decisions that you wish that people would forget about, but they would have that knowledge of Jesus. They would know Jesus from like, oh yeah, you mean Jesus from like around the corner? Like I grew up and he was like, you know, we played it on the playground. I mean, like they would literally, every little detail of Jesus' life, the Galileans would know. The person would just seem so ordinary or normal. Like they just would just, everything that Jesus would do wouldn't feel miraculous or out of the ordinary. It would just feel like that's just Jesus. Yeah, we know him. Got it. Normal guy. Luke 4.24 says it this way, but I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. And that's Jesus speaking. Jesus is saying, I come back here and I'm just not accepted. Like the people don't accept me for who I am. They accept me for the things that I'm going to do. So for you guys, I mean for us, I mean if we're raised in the church, this can be kind of become our own issue as well. The church or the Bible, or you grew up learning about who Jesus is, like it becomes familiar. It just becomes part of who you are, and you don't think anything overly special or miraculous with it. You just think, oh, that's just who I am. That is what I'm about. You minimize his power if we're not careful because of how familiar we are with it. The next thing is they would have felt pride that they knew someone special. I mean, if you knew someone who then became famous. I mean, think, do you know anybody that has then gone on to become famous? You probably, like, make note and tell your friends, like, oh, by the way, I know him, or I know her. Like, oh, yeah, they're, they're big now into movies, or they're, they're uh, on YouTube, or whatever it may be. Like, you connect yourself to that person, and they would have felt pride. The more he does, the more that attachment feeds their ego. Because they can be like, oh, yeah, he, oh, yeah, I know Jesus, yeah. Did you see what he did? Oh, yeah, I know him. Like, he's, he's my friend. And that's the same for us today with how we are attached to a church or a person at the church or a ministry at the church. You know, like, if you lead a, a life group or you put on an event or um, you serve with students, like, the more that that ministry or that thing that you're a part of thrives, the more it can mess with our ego instead of giving the glory to Jesus. They would have also dealt with entitlement. They got dibs on him. Like, they deserve his time and special attention. And that 
is true for a lot of us as well. You know, some of you guys have been going to this church a really, really long time, and sometimes that can kind of distort reality. You can think, well, I've been going here for 15 years, and they really should do this song. Or they should really listen to my idea about how to do life groups or to where we should go on our next global trip. Like, I have really, really good ideas, and since I've been going here a really long time, or maybe not a long time, they should listen. And I think, you know, we talked about how the church has needs last week, but I think a lot of us think, well, the church actually should need me. Like, I have tons of talent. I have money. Like, they need me. Like, they need me to keep going. Like, they need me for this ministry to survive. The reverse could happen, and you could put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Do you feel like people around you want, just want you for what you can do for them? I mean, if, you have, if you're a parent in the room, then you get that idea that your kids constantly, whether they're little or adult, and sometimes maybe it's worse as an adult, I don't know, but uh, your children just have these needs from you. And I know for me personally, the last probably like six weeks, our kids, our older two, have these projects that are like looming over them. And they just have these needs every single day. I can't even tell you. It is seriously comical how many times I hear about these projects and how they need me to go get these supplies or they need me to go get this poster or this way and I, you know, printing and editing these papers. It's crazy the needs that children can put on a parent. But that we do that, that is exactly what people are doing to Jesus here. Let's keep going. John 4, 46 and 47. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Now, I want to show you kind of where we are. Okay, so last two weeks, we were down in, down in Samaria, down at Sychar, which is where the well was, where the Samaritan woman. Now, Jesus then goes up from Samaria into the region of Galilee, which is where Jesus is from, and ends up at Cana right here. Now, this official, just to kind of a reference point, and if you're listening online, I'm going to tell you some stats to kind of get, put your mind there, but he's over here in Capernaum. So there's 18 miles between Capernaum and Cana. So this is where Jesus is, this is where the official is. Now, the, the man had to either figure out, okay, I'm either going to have to walk this distance, to um, ride a horse, to potentially run this distance. Like, he has an issue here. This is an inconvenience by this distance. Does something being an inconvenience stand in the way of your faith? You know, Pastor Jeremy last week, he mentioned this, you know, encourage us to get connected and to use our gifts. And like I already mentioned, that guy on the plane that is weighing whether or not to do this. Um, but, you know, we could always look at our gifts and think, well, I mean, I could probably lead a life group, but that would mean I'd have to give up a night. Or I could probably serve in the cafe, but that may mean I have to get there earlier in the morning. Or the list goes on and on. Of like, oh, my coworker, I think that they want me to talk to them. Um, like, here's an opportunity to speak about Jesus right now. They're like sharing some really, really heavy stuff. But it's an inconvenience. And this man had to weigh this. The official had to say, okay, this is an inconvenience, that map, that distance. But it's worth it to potentially save my son. 
And a few things to note about an official, there's, we don't really know a lot about him other than he was an official. We don't know if he was a Jew or a Gentile, but what we do know by the title official is that he had influence, that he had wealth, and he had resources, but they weren't adequate to heal his son. You know, I know for me, I love being self-sufficient. I want to solve my own problems. I want to create solutions. I, like, do not want or need other people to step in and try. I don't like that feeling of needing anybody, and I'm sure most of you can relate to that. We just don't like when people step in or we have to, we need them to step in to solve our issues. We want to be self-sufficient. Um, a few years ago, uh, our second oldest, who is our probably our biggest risk taker, um, but he's also the child that always gets hurt, which is just a bad, bad combination. Um, but a few years ago, he was playing on the monkey bars, and he fell off the monkey bars, and we could tell immediately something wasn't right with his arm. And so we took him in and found out he had fractured um, his arm, and you know if you've ever had this happen to you, whether you've broken a bone or fractured a bone, like you know there's like that weight between when you know you've gotten the x-ray results to when you get it casted. It's usually, I mean for us it was at least a couple days, and in that time, like you know as a parent you would do anything to step in and try to solve that issue. You'd want to, you'd rather it happen to you than to your child. And I think for this official, which a fracture is not even nearly to the same level, this official is like my son, he is on the verge of death. And I would do anything, anything to solve it. Dr. Mae Jemison, first African-American female astronaut, on a side note. Like, come on now. Never be limited by other people's limited imaginations. Never be limited. I mean, for this lady, you can totally understand where she's coming from saying that. That would have been a lot of her life story. But for this official, he probably, before he went to Jesus, he probably had conversations with everyone he knew. He was probably trying to solve it. He was, and then he realized, okay, no, 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 this is, like, limited. Like, I have to go beyond this. Like, I have to figure out how to solve this issue and my imagination and your imagination, it's limited. So what can I do? He's going to go to Jesus. He had to get creative. The other thing it says is he begged Jesus. And I don't know what you think of when you think of begging. I Typically, my mind goes is like someone on their knees saying it over and over and over again. Usually, they're probably a little bit frantic when they're saying it. Um, but you're willing to do anything for your kids, so you get that. Like, you're, you're just going to go there with Jesus. You're saying, like, Jesus, please, 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 please. Like, I need someone to heal my son, and I believe you could do it. One other thing I just thought is worth saying and noting about this official is that he may never have sought out Jesus without his son being sick. And I know for a lot of you, you would never have come to know Jesus if it wasn't for a circumstance in your life. A tough situation that you could not solve brought you to know Jesus.
And we're seeing that happen right before our eyes in this story. Let's keep going. John 4, verse 48 and 49. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. So we know he's begging. We know that he probably just frantically got there. Like, I picture this man, like, sweating. Like, he just, like, booked it there. He's stressed. It probably took him five hours. He's probably exhausted. He's mentally tired. When you have a loved one, like, that is sick like this, you are just drained. And I picture him just coming and just being so exhausted, begging him. But Jesus, his response is so interesting. Will you, and I should point out the you there, is plural, So he's not just talking to this man. The man is asking, but now he's saying to everybody, the Galileans, the people that just know him and just want him to just do signs for fun, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The other thing that is just a tad bit annoying here is Jesus just doesn't seem to ever be in a hurry. Like he's just not busy. Like he just seems like he's just not stressed. Like, you're bringing your, probably your most stressful emergency to him, and he just is not stressed. See, our emergency just doesn't cause him. just doesn't cause him stress. But our emergency can be Jesus' opportunity. Now, he may not respond the way that you and I like, but our emergency can be an opportunity between you and Jesus to teach us to, to know him better, to move us into a direction, to do work in our life. Matthew 7, 7 says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. This official, it's like this man, it's it's the can't stop, won't stop. I mean, he literally is like, I can, nope, no, nothing's going to stop me. Like, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep staying here until I get the response. See, this man's faith is starting to get stronger. But he thought Jesus' presence was needed for a miracle. He was, in his mind, he was thinking, okay, no, no, no. I need Jesus to go with me back to Capernaum to solve this issue. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure you're gathering this by just all this, this morning's talk. Like, I am someone who, when I have a problem, I'm going to think through how I want to solve that problem or the solution. Or I'm going to think through, like, everything I pray for in detail because that's how my mind thinks Jesus should solve it. So it's like, uh, Jesus, are you ready? Do you have a notepad? Because you're going to have to just take down some notes of how exactly I want this to go. The official, the other thing to note about him that I just think is fascinating is that he never tells Jesus who he is. Like, this guy is, has some power. The official does. Like, he has status. Doesn't use that in his conversation with Jesus. The other thing I want to just note on the Matthew 7, 7 verse, with the asking and receiving what you ask for is sometimes we think we should receive exactly how we what we ask for and exactly the way that we had thought it out. But I'm just going to say a few things on this 
is that just may not happen that way. Like, it may, you may be asking for Jesus to do something in your life that you may never see on earth. doesn't mean Jesus is not going to do it. It just means that to our timetable, it's just not going to happen. The other scenario is maybe you're asking Jesus to do something in your life, and you've been asking him to do something for a while now. And you are waiting and waiting and waiting for an answer. And I'm going to say this to you with as much love as I possibly can, is he may have answered, and the answer may be no. And we don't like that, and so we don't know what to do. And I'm sorry if the answer is no, but we can't control all of the outcomes to everything in our life. And we, we know this from a parent perspective, right? Like we know we tell our children no, and sometimes it's for their benefit. And I think Jesus does the same thing with us sometimes. But if the answer isn't no, and you have been asking for Jesus to do something, and you don't have an answer yet, I'm going to say keep on seeking, asking, and knocking. The people in this story, they're, they're struggling with this. And so I want to encourage you to write this down. Is your faith in the power of Jesus or the person of Jesus? Because the, the Galileans, their faith was in the power. They loved the power. But they are missing who the person is. They're believing in him for what he is, not for what he can, or they're believing in him for not, for, because of what he can do, not because of who he is. You know, this week I had a conversation with somebody who is looking for signs of what to do in their life. They are pleading with God for signs, but they're paralyzed to move, to make a decision. And some of you are in that spot, and you're waiting on Jesus to tell you exactly how and what to do next, and that may not come. Uh, preacher, speaker, Robert Madu says it this like this, when you seek him, you will find you and what you're called to do. Because when we look to Jesus, something that is so incredible here is that if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, guess what? You get to make decisions. And you get to seek Jesus and figure out what is next. And then you find out through the Holy Spirit what to do next. He's going to equip you and empower you. The last part of John 4, verse 50 through 54 says, Then Jesus told him, Go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, Your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. So a, a few things here that is worth noting is the timing of it all. Okay, maybe you've never thought about this, but this man, okay, just think. This man just frantically got to Jesus after four or five hours. He asked Jesus, he pleads with Jesus, Jesus says, your son will live, okay? Okay. But if you keep going in these, the, these verses here, it, 
he doesn't arrive home until the next day. Like, okay, so Jesus has told him that his son was healed. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're like me, I would have been like, okay, I'm going to go right now. Because now I hear you say it, but I haven't seen it yet, so i got to go back and double check. No. Like, this man's demeanor just completely changed. Like, he went from, like, frantic to trusting and in the faith in Jesus. Like, it's incredible to think of what just happened. See, the result of faith is immediate. The reward of faith takes time. See, what happened to this man's demeanor, and everything changed right away. He believed what Jesus said. He didn't rush back home. He was like, you know what, I'm going to rest, and then I'll go home tomorrow, because my son's going to live. But some of us, we're in this, like, in-between. Like, we believe in what Jesus maybe has said to you. We have faith in Jesus, but yet we have not yet seen the reward. How would you view your emergency differently if you knew Jesus had already worked it out, and you just haven't seen it yet? I think we would be living different lives, lives that would draw attention to who Jesus is because we would have faith in him and it would look really, really different. So the official started back home. He didn't wait for the sign. I'll see it when I believe it. Writer Morgan Nichols says, may you never discredit how far you've come and the miles it took just to be in this place. I do not want any of us to discredit the road in which brought you here today. Whether something was done to you or the decisions you made or however your life up to this moment has looked, do not discredit it. Like that just, you know, like, well, that just didn't turn out like I thought or I just always make the wrong choice or I'm on the wrong path. It's brought you to this place. The other thing to mention here that is so beautiful is that this entire man's family then believed. It was a contagious faith. He got to experience not only the power of Jesus, but the person of Jesus. And how, how do you ever go back? So how would we see Jesus in your life? Do you love your spouse with your words and your actions? Do you love your children? Are you easily angered? Do you apologize to your friends? I mean, there's some things that we should be seeing as evidence. And if you're comfortable with your faith, then you become over-familiar with it, or prideful, or entitled. And we don't get to see the same contagious faith as we see in this man. And I know that some of you have been and are this official. You believe Jesus, but you just haven't seen the miracle. You're somewhere between Cana and Capernaum in your own life. You are in the in-between, but you're to, to strengthen your faith, it has to be exercised. You can't just say to Jesus, okay, Jesus, like, okay, I need you to do a work, but I'm gonna stand here and I'm not gonna move. No, to actually strengthen your faith, it requires us to do something. It requires us to move. I know there was a season in my life that I was really seeking healing from some things um, from my past. And I knew and I believe that the Spirit I honestly was saying to me, like, here's, 
kind of some steps for you to do. Like here's some next steps. But I would say, okay, I believe it, I'm praying for it, I haven't seen the result of it yet, and I'm taking that step, and I'm believing. Oh, but then you didn't do it. You, did, you know, I tried, you see what I did here? I moved, I started going that direction, but you, you just, you didn't do a work in me, you didn't change it, you didn't take it away. And a lot of us give up. We're gonna close our time together with the song, Waymaker. And if you're listening to us online, I just plead with you to find the song after the message is over because it is an incredible song. It says, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. See, yes, Jesus can do miracles. He's gonna, we can believe him for his word. He's gonna provide a little bit of light if you just feel like darkness is all around you. But the person of Jesus is a way maker. And I'm gonna read you the definition because it is awesome. One that makes a road specifically. An English royal official of the 16th and early 17th centuries with the duty of keeping the highways in good repair. It's one that makes or mends roads. So what path are you on? And the beautiful thing about Jesus, I mean, truly, is that he's not, he's not even going to pick your path. He gave us free will. We get to say, okay, I'm going to go down this road, or I'm going to go down this road, or I'm going to go down this road. We get to have and make that choice. But that Jesus is with us, and he is working and mending the road as we go. And I don't know in this room if you are trying to figure out, maybe you have an addiction or you have a broken relationship, marriage, broken relationship with your children, and you know what? You just need to take a step. The faith is going to require you to do something, to lean into it, to begin to move. What area of your heart needs to change and be mended? The bridge in the song says, even when... I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. See, Jesus is continuously working regardless of where you are in your journey. But you still have to identify what your next step is and take it. I'm gonna ask all of us, wherever you are, to stand and we are gonna close and sing the song together. Jesus, you are a waymaker. You want to mend the road that we are on, to be with us, but you do ask us to take steps in faith. God, I pray for boldness in our community, boldness to to recognize where we are in this journey and be willing to use courage and have courage to, to move, to grow, to heal parts of our heart that need mending. God, we know that we need you. 
God, I pray that our people wouldn't just be looking for signs, but we would be looking to who you are daily. And Jesus, I don't know in a room like this what we may be facing, whether it's loneliness, depression, addiction, broken relationships, or even just stagnant faith. But I pray that our relationship with you, we would be willing to take a step in this moment. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.